Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Who's excited to be here this morning? I gotta be honest with you, I had so much fun first service preaching. I really hope that I have so much fun this one. Today is not really preaching, it's more teaching. And I want to just give an illustration before we jump into James, because really what we are doing over the next however many weeks, we are teaching through James. And there is a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is to inspire Teaching is to really get down into the nitty-gritty of Scripture to help you how to live properly in context with what the Scriptures have to say. But before I jump into James, I want to give you a fun little story. Muhammad Ali, anyone like boxing out there, right? Now it's more MMA, right? We just, now we're really not, now we're using knees and legs and fists and elbows and whatever it takes to beat someone up. But back in the day, Muhammad Ali was really, he's always been one of the world's greatest athlete. And if you were to do a strength finder with Muhammad Ali, one of his gifts would be the gift of womb. Meaning he walks into a room and he electrifies the room. Anyone know anyone like that? Like seriously, is there any family members? I have a brother that's like that. My brother Scott, he walks in the room and not only does he have all eyes on him, but he woos. He walks in the room and he's like, Woo! Woo! And I'm like, all right, dude, you're like 50 years old. You can't walk in a room and woo. It's not normal. So there's a great story, and someone says, is this an urban legend or is this a real thing? It's, it's a true story because it really does fit Muhammad Ali's character. So Muhammad Ali hopped on a plane, and imagine Muhammad Ali going through an airport. And he loved it. He was the same person off camera as he was on camera. And so the stewardess went around, and, and she was telling everyone, and we all know stewardess, right? Stewardess get a little crazy, right? They're a little bit different. They're, they're a different breed of people. And she's like, everyone, please put your seatbelt on. Please put your seatbelt on. And so Muhammad Ali didn't have a seatbelt on. And so she said, please, sir, put your seatbelt on. He said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And so she walked away. Ha, 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 it's Muhammad Ali. And so the plane was getting ready for takeoff again, and so Muhammad Ali didn't have his seatbelt on. And so she said, please, sir put your seatbelt on. And he said, Superman does not need a seatbelt. And so this is what the stewardess said. Well, Superman doesn't need an airplane, so put your seatbelt on or get off the plane. Right? Oh, yeah. She dropped the mic, walked away, grabbed some peanuts, and gave it to someone else. So in that, it's such a great analogy that, that we all feel like Muhammad Ali. There are things in our life that we feel invincible about. Amen? There are things that we do not like being told what to do because we think nothing is going to happen. We feel like we're not only invincible, but in many ways that we are godlike, that we are fully in control of every situation, and so we do not take precautions and we live recklessly. Anyone in this room that does that? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. But this is what we're going to do. We are going to continue in our study in the book of James. And I think one of the things that I love that Jeremy pointed out last week is that oftentimes when we read the epistles or we read the, the stories of scripture, we think that like the author is speaking to very, very mature kind of superheroes of the faith. That's not who these epistles are being written to. What is happening is, is that James is writing to a young early church that in the midst of chaos was dispersed and he's trying to equip them how now shall you live in the midst of not being together in the midst of being all over the place in the midst of living in a foreign land a foreign city a foreign community how now shall you live and so James is just so applicable to tell them when you are in these situations, this is what you need to remember, and this is what you need to do. 
And one of the things that I realize with Scripture now more than ever, the more that I read it, I see how applicable Scripture is to our everyday life. But we seek for wisdom from everywhere else but the Word of God. And our goal is that while our faith is under pressure, for whatever reasons it may be, the question is, how then shall we live? And last week we had talked about trials. This week what we're going to talk about how trials present temptations in our lives. Anyone with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to ask you for this morning, that this morning is not just about inspiration, it's about application. And I thank you for your brother James, who in the midst of trials and temptations, and as one of the forerunner leaders of the early church, had the wisdom to write to the early church, how now shall they live? I ask you that as we study this one passage, that we would be able to grab something from it to spur us on to walk with you closer and wiser. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Stop right there. How many of you, when you are going through trials or temptations, point the finger at God? Anyone? Have you ever, in all of your life, when you have gone through a crisis moment or a lure to do something that you know that you should not do and you've given into it, you have pointed the finger at God? Can I at least get an amen for that? It's true. And so James, he's, he's looking at the circumstances, he's looking at the situation, and he's speaking truth to the church. I love how one commentary calls James the New Testament Proverbs. Because everything about James is so prophetic. He goes on to say this, God is never tempting, tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Take a moment, look at that, grab that, look at that passage. God is not tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at two critical questions. First, what's the difference between trials and temptations? Because there is a big difference. I think oftentimes we get them blurred. And this is why James talks about the difference. But two, and maybe more importantly, who is the blame? Remember high school English? Well, I didn't read this book until college. That's how much I didn't do in high school. But in the book, The Odyssey, Homer writes about this conversation that Zeus has with the other gods. Watch how this lines up with scripture. It is incredible how easily human beings blame the gods and believe us to be the source of their troubles. When it is their own wickedness and what? Stupidity that brings upon them sorrows more severe than any which desire would assign. And how true this is, when we go through difficult times, there is a natural bent to put blame on someone or something other than ourselves. And this is something that we know throughout humanity because we love to say that the devil made me do it. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that. 
But there's something that's even deeper that we need to talk about. But first, let's talk about trials and temptations. And, and if you have your phones out, I, I'm going to put a lot of slides up for you. Feel free to take pictures, more than selfies, that would be great. But, but I want to walk through differences that we see in these different terminologies. First, when you look at trials and temptations, I think one of the first things that we have to realize that the Greek word that James uses is the very same word for both, to test or to prove, to test or to prove. And when we think about trials and we think about temptations, we always put them in a negative light, correct? But when you look at this word that, that, that James is talking about, it's in the neutral. It's a test. It's a proving of something. And I think one of the things that we could all agree with is that temptations follow trials. These always accompany trials. Now think about this. When are you tempted most? You are tempted either when everything is going great, right? Because now you're God. It's all you're doing. You made everything work out perfectly, and you are the person, the man or the woman that made it happen. But then there's another side, that some of our greatest temptations are when we are struggling the most, when our world is falling apart and it's crashing in on us, and in our frustration and anger, we grab anything that we're pulled to. Amen? So think about this. Trials are situational, whereas temptations come from within. Trials are situational. Trials are things that are happening on the outside, that are happening to us, but temptations are a lure within us. Trials on the outside may become temptations on the inside. So what is a temptation? And I think sometimes what we do is we become so spiritually minded, we're no earthly good, and we don't know how to thrive as Christians. So let's bare bones this one. Temptations, wanting something you cannot nor should not have. Anyone been there before? Right? Every time I drive by Dairy Queen. Right? Wanting what I cannot or should not have. An opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. I think this is something that we need to understand. Temptation can be... Wanting something good, but accomplishing it in a bad means. And I think oftentimes when we think about temptation, we just think about the dark side of temptation. But when you really look at temptation and how temptations build in our lives, they start with the little things. The little things that we say, wow, that, that's a good thing, but it's going to pull me down a bad path. And I believe we can all agree with this. Temptations are a desire to engage in short-term urges that threaten long-term goals. Desires to engage in short-term urges, I need it now, I need it now, I need it now, that threaten long-term goals. And here's what I'm going to be very deliberate about this morning, in the time that we have. Everyone wants to know from Pastor Rob what's wrong to do. What's sin, what's not sin. But I think we need to be honest with ourselves that when we each go through trials, they're going to be different from one another, just like our own temptations. My temptations may be different than Chris's temptations. Things that he is pulled to might be very different than I'm pulled to. Just like Lindsay's temptations may be very different than Chris's temptations. And I think oftentimes when we look at the word of God or we come to church, we want to basically come in, in the most immature fashion where we're going to hear the preacher to tell us what we should or should not be doing when deep down we know what are the things that really pull us in the wrong direction. And so for me this morning, if I'm giving any illustrations, they're for the big picture because each one of us know the different things that we each wrestle with. And here's what we do with temptations then. This is the danger of temptations. We size them up. Which ones are really bad and which ones are okay? But when you look at the definition, remember, 
something that we should not or cannot do. It's the opportunity to accomplish sometimes a good thing in a bad way. But we all know this about temptations, that's true. It's a desire to engage in short-term urges that threatens long-term goals. So let's continue in verse 14. It says, temptation comes from our own desires. If you have a Bible or whatever, just underline that. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Our own desires. The word desire comes from the root word lust. And when oftentimes we think about the word lust, we think about something that is sexually unhealthy, correct? When you think about the word lust, you only put it towards a a sexual connotation. But that's not true. True lust is the craving something in an unhealthy manner. And so we lust after a lot. Anyone ever lust before? Wow, a few of you. Liars. That's the next big sermon. What does James say about liars? But I think one of the things that we have to realize is that lust is a desire for something unhealthy. But what we know about desire is this. It's innate. It's inborn. And it's natural. And what we have to realize is that we were born with some really good desires. We were We have the desire to be fed. We have the desire to have drink. We have the desire to to have intimacy. We have the desire to be acknowledged. We have the desire to to really want approval. But the problem is, is that when our desires become unhealthy for unhealthy things, that's when they lead us down a bad path. God created us with desire, yet We were also born into a certain world, which now we have unhealthy desires. So you look at King David. King David in scripture is talked about being a man after God's own heart. That's how people define David. The vast majority of his decisions were good, were right. But this is what he wrote. He made one grave mistake. And trust me, there are little mistakes along the way. Let's be fair, right? Even though he was after God, a man after God's own heart, there were little mistakes that you can read into throughout 1 Samuel that you're like, wow, he shouldn't have done that. And God kind of steered him back and he got right on path and and he shouldn't have done that, but God steered him back. But, But what made him a man after God's own heart, whenever God steered him back, what did he do? He set course north. This is what happened with David. He had desires. And when he was not living in the will of God, and he was not living out the desires of God, he set himself up to fail. And he found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time, making wrong decisions. And because he wasn't where he he should have been, feeding his soul with what God had best... He fell asleep. And he allowed himself to give in to desires that he knew he should have never have done. And this is what David writes about himself. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So Raquel was singing with us this morning, and right now she's in the back room. And she has with her her little beautiful six-month-old baby. And we all remember this as parents. When we had that little baby, like, they're perfect. They're never going to make a mistake. There is no sin within this child. And for little girls, it's about junior high, high school, and you realize, like, wow, they were born a sinner. They were messed up. There is something wrong with them. Oh, my gosh, Kathy Hagen, that was a little too loud. But for those little boys, the terrible twos. By the time they turn two, you're like, what is this thing? You don't even call it a child, right? Terrible twos. We had one kid that was so terrible twos, we didn't know what we were going to do. That kid drove me insane. I remember driving down Route 80 and having to pull over and having to walk away from the car before I killed him. 
right? I mean, I knew that child by the time he was 16 months old, he was a sinner from birth. And so there's this, there's this truth that God has created us with really great desires that when put in the right alignment are lived out to experience the fullness of who we are as children of God. But when we are not in the will of God and we allow ourselves to have our desires be pulled in the wrong direction, we're in trouble. Can I get an amen for that? We are in trouble. And what I love about James, because all of us do this, we love to blame everything. The culture made me do it. Facebook made me do this. Instagram made me do this. The world made me do this. COVID made me do this. No, like, like, dude, you look at scripture, and scripture is saying something very different. That in the midst of everything going on, there is something in us that just has a bent. Oh, I know that bent. And our biggest problem is, is that we love to put the big things on it, right? The big sins. Remember this. Anytime you get off course and do things in any form of selfish desire, whether for really good reasons or bad reasons, you go down a path of destruction. So watch. Verse 14, temptations come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Our desires, the things within us, these desires that were not brought under the authority of God, have the power at the wrong place, at the wrong time, to do something really dangerous. And when James talks about this in verse 14, he uses two words, enticed and dragged away, and he's talking about sports. The first is to entice, to bait a hook. How many fisher people out there? Like, I don't know if I'm even allowed to call them fishermen anymore, right? How many many people like to fish out there? Now, when my kids were little, they're like, Daddy, take us fishing. How does a dude with ADD go fishing with their kids? To throw a line in with a little red and white bobber and to watch that thing. And we didn't have cell phones back then. I think I had a beeper. It was insane. I'm like, teach me how to fly fish. Because then I could just go all day. But, but it's this idea that with our desires, this world and the evil one knows exactly how to lure us how to entice us, how to pull us away. I mean, think about a lure. A lure is oftentimes either a fake image of a bait or something that's dead. But yet, it has the attraction of what it really is not. And how many times that when we are enticed, it's the same thing. It's a false image of what is not reality. Yet it is something we crave. And the truth is, like that fish, it's going to taste good for a moment. Amen? Temptation tastes good. Do I get an amen for that? Man, you guys are like not even human, right? That's true. That's why we go after it. That's why we latch onto it. But then there's another word, entice, drag us away. And when we were younger, okay, I'm 48 years old now, all of our cartoons used to have these traps that we would watch where it's a bear trap. And this is an image of it. And what a hunter used to do is they used to put all like grass and leaves around it. And they would just take an obvious piece of dead meat and put it right in the middle. Or for a bear, peanut butter. And they just put it on there, and the bear is so consumed with whatever that meat is, whatever that desire is, whatever that longing is, he just goes in and gets it. And it's the truth with all of us. That there are certain things in each of our lives 
that when we see it or sense it, it's got a pull on us. And I believe for each one of us, I do believe it's very, very important for us to realize that each of our temptations are unique to ourselves. Because God has made us intricately made. He formed us in our mother's womb. And even as I look at my children, they are so different. And certain ones are pulled to certain things and other ones are pulled to other things. But let me give you three examples. One, academics. Let's talk about a, a really good opportunity handled poorly. You have that student who says, I want to go to a good college. And you have the schools that you can, you have your schools that you're going to get in. You have your schools that, that are going to really kind of challenge you. But then you have like your stretch school, that one school that you know that you can get in. And that student knows that, that when it comes to senior year or junior year, if I don't take certain classes and I don't pro- pass certain tests, I'm not going to that school. And they know that if there's any way to get over to that place, they will cross that line. And for many students, what they will do is they will cheat themselves over certain things to get over that hump, to get into their reach school. We see that with parents. We, it's, it's all over social media. It's all over the news. How many parents say, you know what? My kid's supposed to go to X, Y, and Z, and I'm not even going to let them know, but I'm going to do everything to get them in, and their kids don't even realize, and their parents have cheated themselves all the way there. And there's a penalty that comes with it. What about athletics? What about for that high school kid that says, hey, I really want to play college sports, but they're on the cusp of, of even making like a Division three school? What about that Division three uh, the kid who goes into a senior and says, I don't want to play Division three. I want to, I want to play Division one. What about that kid that's a Division one athlete and he's, and he's this junior year and he realizes I have one more year before I can at least get some kind of signed a free agent or something like that. What is that one hum? And I learn, hey, you take steroids, what you do is you cycle off. Cycle for a month, hop off, cycle for a month, hop off for two months, go into the draft. How do I know? Because I have several friends that played in the NFL. And I remember when I stepped onto the football team and I knew right away where the conversations were going with different individuals. And you're thinking, hey, it's a great deal. I'll get a five-year career. I'll get a pension. I'm going to make some real money. And I get to say that I played in the NFL. And there's a lure, a pull. What about finances? April 15th passed, and this is year two where was everybody excited for May 15th? Was anyone excited for May 15th? And if we're cheering, it's probably for a wrong reason, right? Like, just deal with your taxes and get it over with, then you don't have to worry about it. But let's be honest. In our frustrations and thinking like, wow, the government takes more than they deserve. I'm going to manipulate the system for what I want, and I'll probably get away with it. But what we realize in any situation when it comes to financial cheating, if you do not continue to cheat and manipulate the system, it will catch up on you. Do you realize that? Because you're going to have to keep covering that hole that you already started to dig at. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves. It is the bait that is exciting. That's why it's called temptation. It's exciting. You know that it's going to fill you short term, but it's, ri- it's worth the risk. It's worth that step. But here's the dilemma. We get hooked and we become the meal. And once you're hooked, you're hooked. And for so many people, it becomes the defining of their life. Scripture. Watch how practical the word of God is. Ecclesiastes 9, 12. As fish are caught in a cruel net, are birds taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Our desires come from within. 
but we live in a very cruel society that is manipulated by the prince of evil called Satan himself. And for each one of us, he knows how to pull on our strings and to throw it out there. And so what James is about to do, he's about to take verse 15 through 18, and he's going to talk about the, 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 the repercussions of temptation. But then he's going to talk about the blessings that come from when you stand up to temptations. And I think one of the problems with, with, with Scripture or even churches, it's like, you know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. God doesn't want you to do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. When really what we should be doing, like James, we should say, hey, avoid this because this is God's best for you. And what happens is, as Christians, we get so consumed with what we should not be doing that we never live in the best that God has for us. And we walk around like a crazy bunch of robots and weirdos that they say, oh, they're one of those. Don't you dare call me one of those. Because I will give in to the temptation to do something I shouldn't. <laughs> but how true is it? Like, like there is nothing fun to live in this place where it's like, don't, 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 don't. That's terrifying. But what we see in Scripture is, God doesn't want you to engage in this because he has his best. And there's no reason for me to get emotional preaching through James. But I want God's best. I want God's best, not only for me and for my wife and for my children, but I want it for the church. Because when the church is living in their best, you know what it does? It attracts people. But I think instead of being a city on the hill, and now I'm totally going off my notes, I think we're like a bug zapper. We attract people and then we just blow them up. Right? The bug zapper. Everyone's attracted to it and they get to it and they get to church and all of a sudden they're like, wow, that, I feel worse than I ever did in my life. Matter of fact, I just died. But instead, we're supposed to be a city on a hill. And when we give in to our desires, this is what happens. It gives birth to death. And we start to die slowly. But then by the time we look back on it, we have died quickly. So let me give you three images. A bonfire. How does a bonfire stay lit? The more logs you throw on it, the bigger and brighter it goes. Think about candy. I love my Snickers. So on Easter Sunday morning, I brought up the word Snickers in the first service, and someone goes, where was mine? They thought in their gift bag they were supposed to get Snickers because Pastor Rob loves Snickers. So this past year, my daughter got married. And I knew that 30 years from now, we were going to have family pictures. And you want to look back and be like, wow, we were pretty good at, at 48, right? We were pretty good at 48. So during COVID, Sue and I got like in the best shape of our lives. Because we knew that 30 years from now, we were going to look back and say, wow, dude, you are gorgeous. And I was a stud, right? That's what we wanted. And like literally, I had the greatest year I've ever had physically. It was awesome. We took one of the bays in my garage and we built like an old school gym called Samson's Lair. It was awesome. We even named our gym. But the problem is, Halloween came. And I love me my Snickers. And so I said to Sue, I said, make sure you get Snickers. She's like, okay. And so you know when you get those bags of candies and they have all the mixture things? She walks in one day, and I'm going through all the candy, taking all the Snickers out. And I put them in a Ziploc bag, and I put them in the freezer. Because after Halloween, Snickers become both a fruit and a vegetable in our house. <laughs> and I said to myself, if I eat one, I'm good. But let me tell you, it went for months and months. And it was like this, I had to get that candy fixed. Do I get an Amen. For me, it might be Snickers. For you, it might be Doritos. It might be ice cream. You name it, you have your craving. But what about this? Weeds. Our yards. 
Everyone is getting so ready right now, cleaning their yards up, getting ready to go, killing all the weeds, knowing that they're going into a season that the grass needs to grow. But you know what some of us do? We just take our lawnmowers over the weeds so they don't look like weeds, but they're still there. And so when you first cut your grass, the beginning of every week, all the weeds are cut. And you're like, oh, wow, your grass is really nice. And your wife is saying, oh, no, it's not. It's really filled with weeds and it's really nasty. And it's the same thing with us. We give into these cravings and we are enticed and it produces death in us, and it begins to define us. But watch what James says in verse 16 through 18. So don't be misled. Come on, don't be misled. Take a breath. My dear brothers and sisters, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all the creation, became his prized possession. We get to understand who we are in the image of God because God has given us his true word, which is scripture. And when we allow scripture and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to work together in our lives, life is produced. God is good. And God only wants his best in our lives so we can experience the fullness for why he created us. Even as a sinful human being, even as a father who has probably made a lot of good mistakes, but some really bad mistakes, even for Sue being a mom who's made some really good decisions and some really bad decisions, we want all of our kids to experience the best in this life. And if we want that, how much more does God for us? God does not tempt us. He allows trials to strengthen us and stretch us because we live in a broken world. There's a couple in our, 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 our life group, and they used to live in the Midwest. And we all know in the Midwest that there's certain things that kind of roll into town and kind of take your house away. That's why the Wizard of Oz was created. And there's a family that at a certain stage in their life, I believe it was in 1991 or 1994, they were at the stage where their boys were going to college, growing up, living in, I believe it was St. Louis. And one day the tornado came and took everything away. And they actually said that one of their vehicles in the neighborhood was thrown for miles away. It was one of those that we all had seen on TV, but here in, the, in New Jersey, we don't have those. And I remember as he has shared with us multiple times, because it was such a defining moment, that this was an opportunity to be a trial in their life that God was going to strengthen them, or a temptation to be angry at God and take matters into their own hand. And I love as I talk to this couple, especially the husband, he's like, Rob, that was one of the most critical moments in our life. We lost everything. And yet we turned to God trusting that everything was already his. And he will redeem everything he desires to. And God did it all. And I believe it's in those moments that we literally allow our trials, our situations, pull us into moments of temptation. In a sinful world filled with people, sinful people who have sinful desires, he has created a means for us to have spiritual life. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life abundantly. Church, we do not live the abundant life that God has called us to.
We don't. I think we get so wrapped up into just what, what having to like live by rules and regulations that, that we miss the freedoms that Scripture gives to us. There is a best that God has for us. And whenever he says don't, it's because he has something for us to do. Amen? Whenever he says don't, it's because he has something better for us to have. And I'm going to say this again. Each one of our temptations are different. And it's for us to understand how this is being played out in each of our lives. So let's get really practical, just as James had done. First, you must realize your desires are real. You have real desires. And desires that God has given you, and desires that are tainted and unhealthy. And each one of us feels like we have a demon on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and we want to blame God or Satan, and yet it's all right here. It's all within us. And we must come to the realization of saying, God, how do I begin to align my unhealthy desires under your authority to transform me into the person you've created me to be? And how do I learn to take the healthy desires you have given me and learn to run harder and faster and farther than I've ever allowed those desires to push me? Because when we do that, that's when we begin to find the joy and understanding that God has made us human. And I will say this, the moment you become a follower of Christ, that's when you need to realize that you are human and broken and you're in need of a Savior. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more human you should realize you are. We are not robots. We have this journey now that spiritual life has been birthed in us. And now we need to allow the spiritual life to transform us and motivate us. We also have to realize this. Trials differ from temptations. Trials are something we must endure, whereas temptations are something we need to be avoided. You have to go through your trials. You have to. You have to. You need to strap on that armor of God every single day and say, I am going to, I am going to walk through this life hell or high water, and I am going to experience the best that God has for me. And every time that I come to a mountain, the faith that God has put in me, God is going to move that mountain for me. And every time that I come to what seems to be an ocean, I'm just going to step in and God's going to separate the seas. And every time that I say no to the temptations that draw me from within, God is going to provide a way out because that is the faithfulness of God. Because God does not tempt. He allows us to plow through. And this was one of the biggest mistakes I made as a young Christian. That I'm not supposed to ever go through any hardships. Yeah, that was a good lesson to learn. God was going to use every single thing to shape, mold, and strengthen me, strengthen me into the man he's created me to be. And I'll tell you what, plant family, I can't wait to see what God does in my 70s and 80s. Because I want to hold on with everything for dear life and watch the goodness of God be birthed in my life. And every time I fall, he's going to pick me up. Because seven times a man falls, but seven times a man gets up. 
This is what God is doing in us. He's moving us from immaturity to maturity. You see, when James wrote this, he was writing to everybody, young Christians, new Christians, nominal Christians, the superheroes of the early church. But there's a path we have to go on. We don't just become saved and we're superheroes. We are given spiritual life that we grow into and we mature into. Because remember this, when you're a child, you, re you react in feelings. But as an adult, you respond in truth. The facts of what scripture has to say. And maturity manifests self-control. Maturity manifests self-control because self-control is an attribute of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And if you are not maturing, you need to go have a little conversation with your Jesus. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill that area that is not willing to be mature. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a grown human being, I put childish ways behind me. Amen? But here's what we need to do. Don't look at the bait. Focus on the prize. Right now, there's two different areas of television that most people watch. Series on Netflix or Prime or Hulu, whatever you do, or reality TV. Any reality TV junkies out there? That's not really a good question because no one's going to raise their hand. There's actually a reality TV called Wicked Tuna. And for some reason, I fell numb the other day, and I started watching Wicked Tuna. For a guy who is so impatient to fish, why would I watch a fishing show? <laughs> and so the whole premise of this show is to catch tuna because there's a season where fishermen or fisher persons go out and catch tuna as part of their livelihood. And it's so strategic when they go. It's all the time of day. It's all the baits. It's all the, the weather, what's going on. Because it says that a tuna's eyes are nine times the size of an average fish. And a tuna... Eyes are so big that if they don't have the right bait in the right setting at the right time, you know what the tuna can actually see? The line. How perfect timing is God to numb out in front of TV? That was this week. And they say they have to be so careful because they try to manipulate the tuna to not see the line. And so when the tuna can't see the line, what does it fixate on? The bait. Bait. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I love how the, the, the NLT says, who initiates. Jesus initiated your faith. You did not choose Jesus. God created you to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and all you did is give him your yes. Yes. It's all about the Father who sent his Son to draw you into a relationship with him. He initiates this. He pursues you. And you need to keep your eyes on the prize. Do you want to finish strong? Do you want to finish strong? What do you want the world to say about you? What do you want the, the most important person in your life to, to define you as as your God? What do you want when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that, that he looks at you and what he sees in you is everything that you have said yes to? And I don't mean houses or cars or anything like that. Like, who are you? Don't focus on the bait. 
focus on the prize. Because the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character defines who we are. If someone says, why are you a pastor? Because my prayer is that I would inspire you to one day stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in God's best. In God's best. Because he created you to live in his best. Amen? Can we be honest? We're going to go into our closing song right now. Let's ask ourselves the question, God, where, where are my desires come from? Where do my desires come from? Have I been living in your desires or my desires? Because what God is trying to teach us right now is he wants us to shift us to begin to live under his desires more than we live under our desires. And this will be a continuous fight for the rest of our lives. But when these desires come under the authority of God, it's a game changer. Let's worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.